Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Good morning, good morning, Building Christian Fellowship. My name is Kaya. I'm not Pastor John, but I'm happy to be with you this morning. And God is good. So if you guys don't mind, I just want to pray again. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And I thank you for your perfect plan that's here right now in the midst of us. God, I pray right now, God, that you take this message the same way that you took the fish and the loaves, that you multiply it, that you bless it, God, and that you'll feed many, God, and you will receive the increase. You will be glorified in this place. So, God, do your work or it won't be done. So, God, move in this place or it won't be moved or shaken. God, shake whatever needs to be shaken in us. Move and arrange whatever needs to be moved and arranged in us. God, we just ask that you do your work this morning. We trust you. We pray, um, we pray to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Happy Sunday, y'all. You know, there's a lot of things to look forward to in this life. Can you guys turn me up a little bit? Because I'm in Jesus' name. I will not yell today. It's going to be a nice, even kill. We're just going to talk today. It's just going to be a little Joel Osteen. God loves you. It's just going to be a, it's just going to be a nice, pleasant talk today. I'm not screaming at nobody. God is good. You know, there's a lot of things that I look forward to in this life. You know, my kids growing up, you know, going off to college, getting jobs, maybe getting married and having kids one day. You know, me and, me and my husband taking vac- vacations. I mean, there was a lot of things I'm looking forward to in this life. But you guys, in the front of my mind, I am looking forward to Tuesday in the name of Jesus. Jesus name. This fast will be over on Tuesday. God is good. So I really want to extend another invitation to all of you to come out on Tuesday night to the Soak Session. We have invited Real Life Church. They're going to come up and worship with us. And we're excited because we're collabing and we're just uniting as a worship team. And we're just going after God together. You guys, it's going to be powerful just to be in the presence this Tuesday. Just marinate, soak. You know, get marinated with all the juices of heaven in this place on Tuesday night. If you just want to lay out and just let God just speak to you, just let let that be so. So I'm asking you all to be obedient and come out on Tuesday night. Does it start at 6 or 6.30? I just, I've been hearing so many different times. So let's let's pick a time. What do we want it to be? It's 6.30. Okay, so we're picking 6.30. So Tuesday night, 6.30, you guys come and join us. Please come out, you guys. Um, just be, you know, not just for the worship, but you know, we invited another church. Don't embarrass us. Y'all need to come out. Okay. We can't, (laughs) can I just give you, can I just be super honest? (laughs) Like, you know, they're coming and they're, they're bringing in all the guitars and all the, you know, all their stuff. And we're like, dude, they better show up. Like, (laughs) so anyway, looking forward to that. You guys looking forward to that. Okay. My name is Kaya. Hi. My name is Kaya, and I am socially awkward. Okay, I know every time I tell people that, no one believes me. (laughs) No one ever believes me. I mean, it's not like Rain Man, socially awkward. I mean, like, I can can talk about some stuff, but I am definitely, like, socially awkward. Like, I have a set number of words, and once those words have been reached, shut down. (laughs) I got nothing. (laughs) John, take it away. (laughs) 
And, you know, I'm an, I was raised an only child, so I feel like I've had a lot of practice talking to myself. So talking to the other people, I, like, who was supposed to prepare me for that? Like, I go to my room, no one's disagreeing with me. Like, everybody's like, yes, great idea. Uh, let's have a grilled cheese sandwich. Excellent idea. Like, why didn't we think of that sooner? Yes, let's do that. I mean, like, it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful life talking to myself, spending time with myself, and now and I'm an adult, and I'm married to an extrovert, I'm trying my best. I'm trying so hard to learn how to be more people-y. And, um, you know, the calling of God on my life has not one concern with my discomfort that I have around being with people. Like, God does not care. Like, I feel like I want to bring it up in conversation. Like, God, can we talk about the fact that you're telling me to do this, but did I tell you that I don't really know how to talk to people. Like, he's not concerned. Like, he completely just, like, left, he doesn't even, like, want to discuss it. Because one of the things I'm learning is that my comfort level is not a part of his concern. His concern is, I've put something in you, and I want you to give my gift to the world. Gosh, sometimes it's hard. And so I've asked my husband, who is this perfect conversationalist, help me. What do I do? Because this guy will go into a gas station, and I'm trying to figure out why I'm sitting in the car for 30 minutes. It's because he is talking to the gas attendant about his kids, his mama, where he went to school, like, what's going on tomorrow, who's playing the 49ers, what, how he feel about them. And I'm trying to figure out what happened, just pay for the gas. He's like, well, me and the guy, dude, I got his number. We're, gonna, we're hanging out next week. Like, what happened? Me, I go into the gas station. No one's saying anything. So I'm waiting for it to happen to me, and it's not happening. I'm trying to be people-y. So I asked John, I say, John, help me. What? What is it that you're doing? And what does he do in his classic pastor way? He quotes a scripture. He says, if you want friends, you show yourself friendly. Now, I don't exactly know what that looked like. So I decided in 2019, my New Year's resolution, yes, I set one. It is not to make more money. It is not to be thinner. It is to smile. So I've decided in 2019, I'm smiling in the name of Jesus because I've found out that people are scared of me. Right, Priscilla? I've been talking to Priscilla about it. I'm like, Priscilla, I, I think I need to smile or something because everybody's like, ooh, she looks mean. And I'm like, dude, give me a chance. Ask me about my gas. Like, ask me about the 49ers. Like, anything. Just give me a chance. Everybody's like, oh, no, Pastor John's wife is mean. And in the meantime, he's over there like, hey, 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 hey. You know, and I'm like, who wants to come talk to me? No one. So in 2019, I'm smiling. So when you guys see me walking around with this super awkward. I'm trying my best. I'm coming out of these comfort levels because God's got something for me to do. And I need to show myself friendly. So I'm starting with a smile. I'll figure the rest out later. Like, it'll come gradually, hopefully. But my husband, being such the great conversationalist, I've decided to study his tactics because he has tactics, okay? I mean, like, it's just, I mean, even at the gym, he's, like, going over. He's like, hey, so what kind of weight is that? I mean, he's talking, and they're talking, and then he's now he's asking them about their life. So what I'm realizing and what I've studied, because I've been taking notes, is he decides to step into their world instead of asking people to come and step inside his. See, that's very different for an only child, because me, okay, if you want me to talk, well, I guess I'll talk about myself. Like, <laughs> that was my default, and I'm realizing that what he does that is different from me and really engages people and opens people up is when you step into their world and say, 
So, how's your mom? How's your kids? How many you got again? Are they in school? Dude, and before you know it, he's cracked them wide open. They're exchanging numbers. They're best friends forever. So, like, John has a long list of friends. Why? Because he showed himself friendly. And so, it wasn't until I watched what he did until I, figured, until I was able to understand what he meant. Show yourself friendly. What does that look like? What does that look like? I mean, yeah, I understand this, the word, and I get it, and I understand it, and I receive it, but I don't know what that looks like, and it's not until I begin to watch him that I was able to really receive it and be able to say, oh, okay. So Pastor John's over the last couple of weeks, he's been talking about the obedience through discipleship, being discipled and discipling others. It's a threefold thing. We need to have a mentor, we need to have a student, and we need to have a friend. All of us should have these things in our life, and we should be working hard to do these things in our life. Why? Because the Bible says to go and make disciples. Well, we go and make disciples. Well, we can't forget that we also must also be discipled. And so um, for some of you, this is not a big deal. You're like, okay, good. Got it. Uh, I got the word, like, you know, a brother Andre. He, he, no problem. He's ready to go. What's the word, Lord? Got it. Got it. I'm going to go talk to him right now. But for someone like me, I'm sweating. I'm doing the breathing techniques. I'm like, okay, I got to go, and I got to go make disciples, which means I have to talk to them, and I got to go around the people. So it's a little bit harder for someone like me with my kind of personality. And so I want to uh, um, um, speak to some of you who may be like me, where it's like it may not be as easy to kind of just be like, hey, you want to know about Jesus? Let me tell you about him. Like it's not as natural for you to maybe just go up and start conversations with people. And so this message is for you today, and the title of today's message is The Right Help. The title of today's message is The Right Help. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go through verses 15 through 18. And the word says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, one of the things I noticed when reading this scripture is that God had given a command. He gave the instructions. And it's almost like the same time he gave the instructions and the same time he gave the command, he had a thought. Dude's going to need some help. Like, I'm not sure if any of you are bosses or managers or owners of your business, and you give out the instruction to the employee, and as soon as you're giving them the instructions, you're thinking of how much help they're going to need to walk that out. God was the same way. So he gave the instruction, he gave the command, and at almost in the same breath, he said, I'm going to give you some help. Because I know not just uh, about doing what you're supposed to, help to do what you're supposed to do, but to help you do and uh, to help you not do what you're not supposed to do. And I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about because God was told him not to touch the tree. And it's almost as if God knew that Adam was going to have a hard time managing his appetite. There's something about us, there's something in us, whether it be whether we call it curiosity whether we call it something else, but there's an appetite, there's a yearning that we have in us sometimes for the things that we should not have and we should not partake of and we should not touch. And God was saying, he's going to need some help with that. So I'm going to give him a helpmate. And one of the things I think is, Eve, you had one job. You had, you had one job, Eve. <laughs> like, one job. <laughs> and <clears throat> I feel like yeah, Eve, Eve didn't do, you know, that good of a job. You know, I, I'm sure, I'm not going to blame it all on Eve, you know. 
Women, where y'all at? Whoop, whoop. Okay, I'm not going to blame it all on Eve because I feel like Adam, Adam, where you at, dude? Like, talk to your girl. Like, can you help her? Where you been? I feel like the way Lucifer, the way the serpent approached her, it was way too familiar. Some conversations don't go from there to there just like that. It was almost like a gradual, hi, hey, hi, hi, Eve, you look nice today. Ah, thank you, thank you, see you later. And then it was a, hey, you want to take a walk? Okay, yeah. So it was almost a familiarity, familiarity that came with Eve and the serpent that I feel Adam should have paid attention to. Adam, where you been? All those times. Even the serpent just kicking it. I'm just saying. Where, women, where y'all at? Whoop, whoop. Because I'm just saying. People love to say Eve messed up. Yeah, I'm not saying Eve should not take, you know, take responsibility for what she did. But Adam, king, priest, prophet, leader, lead her. Lead her, okay? So the thing is that there's some conversations that's being had that you should not have. Husbands. There's some conversations with people or whatever that you should not have. Wives, there's some conversations with people that you should not have. Because why? Because it's creating an appetite for something that you should not touch, should not partake of. And you shouldn't just be mad at the fruit that comes from the forbidden touch or the forbidden bite or the taste, whatever. Don't be mad at that. Be mad at the fact that you never did anything about the appetite being cultivated. Do you get what I'm saying? Because when we really think about it, because I'm, I'm trying to tell you, serpent and Eve, dude, they were almost like BFFs. There was nobody else she could be friends with in the garden. Like, you picked the serpent out of everybody. Like, go see what the donkey doing. I'm just saying. Like, you know what I mean? Pet a rabbit. Like, but no, she wants to talk to the serpent, and they're, they're just communing in a way that's way too comfortable, way too familiar. Why? Because there's been an appetite that's been created over time where the serpent's like, I'm safe. I'm cool. I got your back. I want to tell you things. No, you don't have to tell me nothing. My husband's already telling me something. No, thank you. You know? Listen, God's original commandment was in Genesis 1 and 28. It says, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's hard to have dominion over things on the earth when you don't first have dominion over yourself. I feel like that's super important because the thing is that we get really excited when we're like, I'm walking in my destiny. I mean, like, you know, we sing about it. I'm declaring that I'm the head and not the tail. And, and you know, uh, I speak those things as though it were whatever. And we, and we talk about the authority that we have in the earth, which is true because God does not repent on the things that he's called us to do. It's still here. It's still valid today. He's telling us have authority, have dominion in the earth, rule over it, subdue it. That's our command. It's still, he's never changed his mind about that. But we've changed our mind about it. Why? Because we can't even handle this flesh. Dude, this flesh is taking us for a ride, all of us, that we don't even know how to get off of. Why? Because we don't know how to do, have dominion over ourselves. And so because we don't have dominion over ourselves, man, this world is kicking our butts. We're, we're tangled up in addiction. We're tangled up in relationships that we not, shouldn't be a part of. We're having conversations about things we shouldn't be speaking of. Why? Because we don't have dominion over ourselves. Therefore, everything else is using us as a pawn. The Bible says that the, that the, um, the, um, the devil, he works in the uh, children of disobedience. Like he works in them. 
Why? Because they're disobedient. They're out of right standing with God. So why? They're a pawn. He grabs them and he moves them around. You're trying to figure out why the person at your job hates you so much. They don't. The devil hates you so much. But because they're a pawn, he's able to move them and, and position them and maneuver them in such a way that you'll be mad at them and forget all about the devil. So now you're praying, God, strike them down right now in the name of Jesus. Touch not your anointing. God, I pray that you curse their tongue. No, curse the devil. Have dominion and authority in the earth. Have dominion and authority over yourself so you can have discernment about what's really going on. Amen? Fasting helps us train ourselves to have dominion and authority over ourselves. I know fasting is a cuss word. I know. It's like the Christian cuss word. It's like if the pastor wants to start cussing at you, he's like, look, I'm calling a fast. I'm calling a fast in the name of Jesus. Like, whoa, whoa, watch your mouth. It's hard, man. It's hard. And some of us leaders, not only are we doing the Daniel fast for 21 days, but we have picked, like, for instance, week one, we're complete fasting, just water in week one. Week two, we complete fasted, just water in, um, on week two for two days. And then week three, three days, just water, y'all. I never thought that I would long for guacamole. Like, during those times of the complete fast, like, I'm thinking about healthy stuff. I'm like, Lord, I just want a peach. I just want a peach in Jesus' name. Because when you take everything away, then all of a sudden you start thinking of how good and sweet that apple would be. Just give me an apple in the name of Jesus. But, of course, when you're doing the Daniel fast for 21 days, you're just like, I'm tired of apples. I'm tired of bananas. I'm tired of this salsa. I'm tired of all of it. But you take all of it away and just drink water, oh, you'll start thinking about some apples and some bananas and some salsa in Jesus' name. But fasting helps us have dominion and authority over ourselves because when our body starts crying out for stuff, you can tell it to be silent. Right now, we're craving the presence of the Lord. Right now, we're going to get in his presence like never before. And your flesh is so weak and so just like, ah, it's like, oh, whatever, it's fine, just make it stop. But the more you do it, the more you do it, it's like learning karate. The more you do it, the more disciplined you are in your eating and in your body. Do you know it is actually um, proven that when you fast more, you, it's like so much healthier for you to fast as humans. Like our body needs it. Our body needs for us to fast, whether that be complete just water or fasting like, um, like fasting most of the day and eating at one. It's been proven that our body actually functions better when we incorporate fasting into our lifestyle. Trying to figure out why so many of us, these generations have gotten away from being healthy. We are completely obese. It's like by the, by the time we're two, you're obese. Like you're like, and how can I get rid of this obesity? That You can't. Because why? Because you have not included fasting. You have not included the way God has called for you to eat. We're just doing whatever our flesh wants to do. Today I want a chimichanga. Tomorrow I want a churro. You know, the next day I want, you know, 12 donuts. It's what I want. It's how I feel. And so because I go, because I go with it, I no longer have dominion and authority in my body. My, my body now has dominion and authority over me. It's saying, stop right here at this donut shop. Just eat it all in the car so your kids don't ask for any. That's what my body tells me to do. And most of the time I'm listening. Help me, Jesus. So they come in like, Mom, I'm hungry. I'm like, I don't know. Would y'all want to eat some cereal? I don't know. I'm just full as a bird because I ate all the donuts. Now my kids know what's going on. They're like, Mom, did you eat donuts in the car? <laughs> Telling on myself. Now I know that this scripture that we read in Genesis is calling Eve a helpmate because she's his wife. 
But listen, as Christians, we have helpmates that are not just our husbands and our wives. It's people that God has called to be around us to help us fulfill the command that God has placed in our life. Because the command still stands. Have dominion. Have authority. Okay, Lord, you're going to need some help. Okay, I'm going to give you Pastor John. I'm going to give you Pastor Kaya. I'm going to give you Pastor Jan. I'm going to give you Pastor Lionel. I'm going to give you a T. I'm going to give you Donna. I'm going to give you Raquel. I'm going to give you all these people. I'm going to place them around you. And they've been called to help you fulfill the command over your life. See, the connection between Adam and Eve was super important. Their connection was very important. All of our connections are important when we have godly, holy connections with people. Why? Because it helps us steer our appetite. You take one person that has joined the church, but yet they have not joined a community, dude, they're fallen. They're going to eat the forbidden fruit. Why? Because they don't have any helpmates around them. They're saying, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm by myself. They're, they're me. They're the only child. They're like, no, I like having conversations with myself. I like agreeing with myself. I like talking to myself. I don't want anybody else pitching in on what I think about talking to this guy, getting in a relationship with this person, moving in with that person. I don't want to have any thoughts, outside thoughts from these helpmates on how they feel about the decisions that I want to do. I'm going to touch this fruit. I'm going to eat this fruit. I'm going to cut it up. I'm going to saute it, and I'm going to eat it again. Why? Because I don't want any help, and I feel like that is something that we need to pay attention to. Social media has successfully, successfully programmed us into feeling like we are super connected. Dude, we're super connected. We have, like, all these people. I don't even know how many friends I have. I stopped counting because I have so many friends on Facebook. Like, follow me on Facebook. I have so many friends. But I have no friends in the natural. What is going on here? But yet I have all these people that I'm creating this window. Nope, I said I'm creating this window because I'm only posting what I want you to see. I didn't post the fact that I was looking a hot mess like five seconds before that crying with a headscarf on. No, I took the headscarf off, I put my makeup on, I'm like, hey, went in. Because I'm not really connected to anybody. But social media is like, no, no, this is good. This is a great connection. This is close enough. And so us introverts, we take that and we'll be like, I'm connected. I'm connected. I talk to people all the time. I like this. I heart that. I wow this. I'd be like, I love this. Like, I'm talking to them. I'm saying, girl, you look cute. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We're connected. Way. But we're not connected. We have people we call friends that we don't even know anything about. We peer into their windows of each other's lives through Facebook and Instagram, and we purposely don't answer our phone when people call us. How dare them call? Send me a text. What you calling me for? I'm not trying to, like, talk, talk, talk to you. Like, send me a text. Let me think about what I want to say, <laughs> and 30 minutes later, I'll text back. Am I telling on myself? Okay, maybe I'm the only one that does that. But the thing is that we have to think about the fact that we're not really connected, and that's a problem. I'll never forget when Pastor John and I moved into our house. Dude, we were waiting for the bunk cakes. Where are the bunk cakes? Like, all the neighbors are going to come see us any day now. We're waiting. We're waiting. No casseroles came. No bunk cakes came. Back in the day when a new neighbor moved into your street, you wanted to know who they were. Why? For one reason, your kids are probably going to be playing outside around that neighbor or with their kids. You want to know who they are. So surely, yeah, we have kids. We, I mean, hey, we, we're moving in. We're smiling. We're waving at everybody. We're like, we're here. We're here. We're here, guys. So we're like, they're going to be here with the bunk cakes and the casserole. At any second, they never came. Why? Because no one cares who lives next door to them anymore. Why? Because I don't want to be connected to anybody. Don't knock on my door. Don't ask for no sugar. No, I ain't got no sugar. I ain't got no cups. I ain't got no nothing. No, I ain't even got no bags. Don't knock on my door. How did we get this way? What happened to our connection? 
What happened to our connection with one another? I remember back in the day, man, my, something would happen, and my mom would knock on the door next door to the next door neighbor and be like, can you please watch my daughter? I got to do this. Something, something happened with my husband or whatever. Sure, yes, of course. Can you please pick my kids up from school? Whatever. Why? Because we knew how to build a community with one another. But for whatever reason, we have failed in doing that. In the church, in Jesus' name, that will not be so. We're getting back to being a community. We're being back to being really connected, not fake connected but really connected. Why? Because our connections with one another is important. Jesus was God in him, by himself. And, and Jesus was God, but he wrapped himself in flesh. Okay, when Jesus started his ministry, the first thing he did is he went and he rounded up his squad. Like he rounded up his squad. He was like, yo, follow me. Yo, come with me. You, drop it. Let's go. Like he rounded up his team. And it's interesting that you would think, we know that Jesus was, was God, John 1 and 1, in the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. We know that Jesus was God. However, he knew that I'm coming to give an example of what to do. Even though I know Jesus didn't really need their help, he chose to surround himself with people. Before he started his ministry, he built his community. He was giving us a message that community is important. Isolation and Christian should not go together. An isolated Christian is not a Christian. You're a lone ranger. At any moment, you're going you're gonna to fall over somewhere and be like, where was your help? Where was your helpmates? Where was your community? He was showing us the, the, the importance of, of community. And because just like in the garden, the commandment was given, but God knew that we were going to need some help. So Jesus was showing us, when you start your ministry, when you begin to walk out the things that God has called you to do, you're going to need some help. Where's your community? Who are you connected to? Who can see you every day? God's design for the church was to be, pastor says it all the time, a family of families. It's a family of families. Yes, we have our small, you know, our, our in, in, immediate family, but we also have our small group families. We have our families that we serve with. We become a family of families. When you hurt, when somebody in your family hurt, man, we're all hurting. Why? Because we're family. That's why it's so hard for us uh, at the building with military families because the building is really about building real relevant relationship. We have a, a hard time saying, hi, we love you, we embrace you. Oh, okay, oh, okay, bye. Like, we have, we're really good at the hellos and the hi, and we are so happy to meet you and embrace you, but we have a hard time with the goodbyes. Why? Because we're really family. And even though it hurts, and especially with military family, even though it hurts, but it should hurt. When somebody leaves from our church, we should feel it. The fact that churches don't feel when people come or people go, that shows you that we are not connected the way that we're supposed to be. Amen? Let's turn to Matthew 23, 1 through 5. The word says this, it says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men, they make their their philosophies broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Listen, Jesus was saying this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were supposed to be the help. They were supposed to be the Eve for the Adams, 
for the people that are believing God, that love God, that want to follow God, that wants to walk out the ordinances of God, that wants to walk out the calling that God has done in their life. And they go to these religious leaders and they invite them into their homes and they embrace them. And they're like, Rabbi, Rabbi, teach me this, teach me that. And the rabbis, instead of teaching them, what they were doing is they were giving these hard teachings. And the people were saying, how do I, how do, I do that? It was like what I said to, to, to Pastor John. How do I show myself friendly? What does that look like? But yet the disciples were not letting people see their lives. Why? Because their lives were contrary to what they were teaching. The Bible said that they, didn't even, they didn't, wouldn't even lift a finger to do their own teachings. So they were giving out these hard lessons. you got to do this. you got to do that. You're not holy if you're not doing this. And all these people were like, oh, 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 I'm so unworthy. I'm so unholy. So why should I even try? So Jesus, seeing that the, the brokenness, the broken state of his church, he's like, you got to do something. If you want something done right, you're going to have to do it yourself. So here comes Jesus coming in his infinite wisdom and infinite love for his church, un- overwhelming, oversaturated, never-changing love for his church. He comes and he does it himself. And he builds a community and he says, not only will I teach you the good word, but I'm going to show it to you. Jesus, did, Jesus had hard days, you guys. He had people that were accusing him of stuff. There were people trying to kill him all the time, people asking him hard questions, trying to trip him up all the time, and he didn't hide himself from his disciples. He didn't hide himself when they tried to call him instead of text him. He's like, I'm going to let you see me on my good days and on my bad days, and I'm going to let you see how I handle all of it. Some of us, we say, well, I'm going to wait until I'm a little bit more perfect in the things of God before I start letting somebody in my world. Wrong. Wrong. Whatever you have, whatever you have, turn around and teach somebody. Why? Because God gives seed to the sower. What have you done with what he's already given you? What have you, who have you poured into? Who have you taught? Who have you encouraged? Who have you let walk around with you and see you with, on hard days or bad days or whatever, or days when you're just feeling low? How do you let them see what it looks like to be a Christian in all seasons of your life? As a church, we failed that so many times. Presenting a level of holiness that, we aren't, that you aren't reaching is easy for all of us. Why? Because a lot of us know the word. If we don't know all the word, it's fine. We know some of it. And some of the word we know, we'll quote it, but a lot of us aren't doing it. And that's why we don't allow people into our world. And it ought not be so. In Jesus' name, the Building Christian Fellowship will be people not like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, giving the right teaching but living the wrong life. Oh, no. We're going to give the right teaching and we're going to live the right life and we're going to open our doors and let let people see us doing it. So Jesus experienced the hardship, the rainy days, the storms, the crowd, the offended people, the testy religious, even even the disciples that was following him. And, I mean, Jesus even went through church splits, y'all. You thought about that? Jesus even went through the fact that there was people following him and they were mad about what they were teaching. You know they didn't leave quietly. Come on, y'all. Come on. You guys know how church people are. When they're offended, they want to make sure all their friends know. Well, I'm mad because Pastor Kaya, she said this, and she didn't even smile at me. Yeah, she looked mean. She looked way mean, and she said that, and she hurt my feelings. And not sure what they want the people to do with the information, but they want everybody to know they're bad. So I'm just letting you know I'm leaving if y'all want to come with me. I'm just le- I'm leaving. Anybody? Hey, everybody, I'm leaving. Go on and leave then. Leave. But Jesus dealt with it. 
Sorry, that was a little pastor plug. Jesus dealt with all of it. I can't say for one second that Jesus doesn't understand my world. He understands all of my world. He has gone through way more than I could ever go through. He knows it all. But he stood steadfast, and he let them see it. In the midst of the church splits, in the midst of the offended people, in the midst of all the people mad because you didn't do this or Jesus said this, and that, uh, that's gross. Why would he say that? Ugh, we should all leave. He still stayed steadfast, and he said, I'm going to let them see me doing it. I'm going to let them see what faithful living looks like. The question is, who's been allowed to sit on the front row seat of your life? And if they are sitting on the front row, what are they learning from you on how you face hard times and good times? The thing is that there's a thing called distance learning. You go on YouTube. I have learned how to braid. I learned how to make oxtail casserole. Uh, I've learned how to make uh, chili with the steak meat. Uh, I have learned how to uh, make a uh, bunt cake all on YouTube. Why? Because all of those things are fine for distance learning. But for living a holy life, distance learning does not apply. I can't go on Facebook and watch the Building Christian Fellowship's podcast or live stream and consider it distance living. I'm living a holy life because I got this distance living. Oh, no, it's fine, Pastor. I watch online. I'm a member online. Distance learning does not apply when you're learning to live a holy life. You need to know what it looks like. You need to get connected with someone and see what it looks like in all seasons of their life. What does it look like? Distance learning should not be a part of the church. Our spiritual growth requires upfront learning, not long-distance learning. God's church suffers because we take on the do as I say, but don't look at what I do attitude. James said, ask me in my faith and I'll show you my work. He had it down packed. He's saying, if you want to know what I believe in, just watch me work. I love people like James because it's almost like James was probably like an introvert like me. Like I'd rather just show you instead of tell you because I only got like 10 words and I'm like, after 10 words, that's it. Just watch me. Just watch what I do. Jesus was perfect for letting someone into our, to your not so life, no, not so perfect life. Okay, let me start over because I'm all jumbled up. Jesus was perfect, and I know that. We know that Jesus was perfect. He did every, everything right. And not, letting someone into your not so perfect life, sometimes it sounds really hard, and it sounds really, really uncomfortable. Maybe it's just me. But John chapter 5, 18 through 20, it says this, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. What is this scripture saying? This scripture is saying that, yeah, even though he was all God, he lived all man. He gave himself self-imposed restrictions to live as a human, not as God, which means I am committed to pursuing his lifestyle because it's obtainable. Everything that Jesus did is obtainable for us. He didn't do anything that we can't do. It's about going after the lifestyle and, and living in obedience the way that he, does, he did. He was obedient even unto death. I don't know if some of us can even admit that we would do that. Well, there's the first strike. What's your mindset about being obedient unto God? 
This means that even though he was God, he lived with self-imposed restrictions as man's just like you and I. So we have no excuses to not pursue the example and the lifestyle that Jesus set for us. So I need you guys to say something. Say, if Jesus did it, I can do it. Okay, say it like you mean it. If Jesus did it, I can do it. Not only can I, you don't have to keep repeating. Not only do I, not only can I live his lifestyle, but I can open up my world to other people. I can let them see me sorrowful, like anxious unto death. Do you realize that you, do you realize even when Jesus was depressed, he said, I'm anxious unto death, which means I'm so stressed out, I feel like I'm going to die. He told his disciples that. Most people who are discipling people is like, God, don't let them see you sweat. You got to make sure you stay up here. Let them stay down here. We've gotten many, lots of counsel from other pastors saying, you guys are way too familiar with your members. You need to have, create more separation. They've said it since the beginning. And John and I, we've tried. We're like, ah. But being who John is, notice I blame it on him. Being who John is, he's just not going to allow that separation. He's like, dude, where they're at, we're at. That's where we're all, we are. We don't care if they'll get way too familiar with us and they don't listen to us. That's on them. But we're going to be who we are, and we're going to open up our doors. We're going to open up our life to them. We're not going to tell them, sorry, our table's not big enough. We'll put on another part of the table, and we'll make the table wider if you want to come over, because that's who we have decided and committed to be. God knew that we needed real connections with God and with one another because we were going to need some help. Religious leaders, the church, are still failing us as Christians today. They're still giving us the hard lessons. They're still giving us the word, and it's not like the word is, is a lot of it is not wrong. It's just no one's showing them, showing people what it looks like. No one's saying, this is the word. Now watch me. Follow me. Come over to my house. Come commune with me. I'm going to sit, and I'm going to have coffee. I'm going to sit across the table from you. We're going to crack open our word, and we're going to talk. No one's saying, let me show you what it's looked like. Everybody's saying, let me tell you what the word says. Let me tell you what the word says. No one's saying, let me tell you what my life says. Very important. More than a teaching about a 12-step financial freedom or more five steps to live in a happy life, God knew we needed something much more than that. We needed a real, relevant relationship that's current with Jesus Christ and with his church. Listen, I've been hungry these past 20 days. I don't even know what day we're on. I've been losing track of the days. I'm hungry. And one of the things that we say about fasting all the time, it's like, oh, man, it's going to move you to be closer to God. You're going to hear things that you didn't hear before. Man, you're going to just be like on fire, whatever. And I'm like, every time I fast, I'm like, bring on the fire. Because right now all I see is that I am a wretch without Christ, almost like a layer of onions. Like every time I feel like I deal with one thing, I've dealt with the pride. I've dealt with the unforgiveness. Now here comes some more things. Let's talk about you being an introvert and want to be by yourself. Let's talk about why you want to be isolated. Let's talk about, I mean, like every time we deal with something, here comes a new wave of stuff. It's like, Lord, come on, just bring the fire. Just bring the fire and let's stop talking about me. But what I'm noticing is about hunger. Hunger comes to test the weak areas in your life. And that's why it's important to have a lifestyle of fasting because if not, we'll be prideful and arrogant like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees thinking that we got it all together and everybody needs to just listen to us. Why? Because there's no fasting to come and examine our heart and see what's really going on. The thing is that we can copy a lot of things. We see it in church all the time. People copy, uh, copy uh, different things that people do. People copy different um, um, habits that people do. Why? Because they watch and they copy. 
But one of the things, because I go to the gym like five times out of the week, one of the things that you cannot copy, you cannot copy strength. I could put on the same gym pants as you. I might even have the same sports bra. But when it comes up to, to lifting that weight with that bar, I may not be able to lift what you can lift. Why? Because I can copy a lot of things, but I can't copy strength. Strength is something that's gonna have, that you're going to have to take the time and build within yourself. Strength and holiness. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be ye holy as I am holy. We can't copy strength. So we have to be strong in the Lord. I can't be strong in Pastor John because I'm copying everything that he's doing. I'm trying to make friends, so I'm trying to, to, to lead the conversation the way he led it, but it, it, it's just, it's counterfeit. Why? Because I'm copying him, but I'm not being strong in the Lord. It's in the Lord where my strength is really built. So when we have the right connection with God and with man, we are less likely to fall prey to the fake hypocritical living that a lot of us as Christians have done for many years. That's why so many people are turned off by the church. What do people say? No, it's just a bunch of hypocrites there. Just a bunch of hypocrites. Why? For one thing, because we're telling them to do as we say. Well, let me tell you what the word says, and we're not saying, you know what? I want to speak to them through my life. I'm going to let them see me be humble when someone's just going off on me. I'm going to let them see me have self-control and not touch that, or not drink that, or not partake in that. I'm going to let them see me having dominion over my flesh because my life will speak way more and louder than my words ever will. When we're a part of a community of people, instead of hiding, we not only can live a holy life, but we can secure our holy life. Because a lot of us, we just want to obtain the holy life. Yeah, it's great to have a great moment, but what about having a great life? Do you get what I'm saying? Because there's some days, dude, I'm, I'm on it. Woo, I'm feeling saved today. But there's other times I'm feeling low, man. And it's, if it wasn't for my helpmates keeping me accountable, watching me, making sure I'm not falling off, I probably would have fallen off by now. And it's okay to admit the fact that, yes, I do need help. All of us need help. We have to be aware of a lack of accountability. Who can speak into your life and tell you, dude, you're wrong? What you did was wrong. Who have you allowed to speak to you like that? Because the thing is that no one's allowed to speak to us like that until we allow it. Why? Because we have to humble ourselves. Nobody can humble us for us. We have to humble ourselves to allow ourselves to have a community of people around us that can come up and say, dude, you were wrong. What you did to that girl or how you said that was wrong. Or you can come up to me now that I told you guys about my New Year's resolution to be, Kaya, you need to smile. Matthew 23, 6 through 7, it says this. They, talking about Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, they love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, seven greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, rabbi. Man, they loved being honored. They loved being held high of esteem to people. The thing is that I feel like it's not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We shouldn't just look down on them. That's in all of us. It's called pride. And that's why the Bible tells us that we need to humble ourselves because the thing is that we like to be celebrated. We like to be acknowledged. How many times have you went over and beyond with somebody and they said, thanks, and you're like, what? That's it? I'm never doing anything for them ever again. Why? Because we want to be honored. We want to be acknowledged for what we do. So a lot of times it takes a lot of humility for us to do things as to the glory of God so that we won't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanting to be celebrated and honored. So here's the thing. I want to do three comparisons uh, with the three helpmates that I talked about today. 
Eve. Do you know Eve ate the fruit not because she was hungry? She ate the fruit because of a way deeper reason. She ate the fruit because she wanted, because Lucifer told, the serpent told her, you'll be like God. Ooh. He didn't say, it'll taste good and you'll be so full. Usually somebody can just tell me that. Like, if you just tell me it tastes good and I'll be full, I'm probably going to eat it. But Eve, it wasn't even about the food for her. It was a much deeper reason. And I feel like that's a lot of us. It's not just women either. It's a lot of us that we eat for way deeper, deeper reasons that we have not yet dealt with, but we need to. Eve approached the forbidden fruit that she should not touch, not because she was hungry. And that's so important because all our needs are met according to his riches and glory, yet and still our hunger is coming to test us and say, uh-uh, you're unfulfilled in this area and you should touch that. You should eat that. You should want that. You should lay with that. Eve desired to be like God. Read it, Genesis chapter 3. Let's talk about the religious leaders. We just read it about Matthew, how they like to sit in high places. They like to be honored. They like to be celebrated by people. They love to hear people say, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. Yes, my little peasant people, what? Why? Because they liked that feeling because it was almost like a God-like feeling. Let's talk about Lucifer when he got evicted from heaven. Let's talk about him. Can we talk about him? Dude, he was made of music. He was supposed to help us get into the presence of the Lord through worship. He was called to help, yet and still, what happened? I want to be exalted above God. I want to be worshipped. I want to be like God. So here's these three helpmates that have all fallen because they have an appetite to be like God. So us having to pay attention to this pride thing is super important because as we're being obedient to the word, we've been listening to the word about teaching people, being a mentor to people, discipling people, having being stu- those threefold, we need to make sure that pride is nowhere in that. How do we do that? We continue to humble ourselves by letting people speak into our lives. Hey, I did this, and I said this to that person. What do you think about that? As a pastor, I feel like it's very far in between for pastors to go up to people and be like, please tell me, what do you think about our church? How did we do? How was the message? Was that okay? Tell me what your thoughts are. Why? Because it's a form of humbling. Instead of getting up here and saying, let me tell you what God says. I'm going to give you the word, but yet I'm going to say, what did you think? Did you receive it? Was, it? was I yelling too much? Was it too much jokes? What is it? Tell me what you thought. Why? Because if I don't keep myself humble, I will allow the Pharisee and the Sadducee to raise up in me, and I want to be like God. Why? Because I'm standing on the platform. So it's our job that whoever, whatever platform you're standing on in someone's life, that you continue to humble yourselves. As we pursue the culture of being discipled and discipling people and having accountability, we want to make sure that we don't leave any unhealthy places in our hearts unchecked. Because if not, we become a prey to our pride. As I close, the thing is that because we fail to open up our lives to other people, a lot of people don't know what this whole Christian thing is all about. I mean, like, they can be in church for years for years, and they know scriptures, they can quote them, but they don't know what that looks like in their lives. Why? Because no one wants to take the time to grab your hand and say, I'm going to show you what it looks like. No one's going to grab your hand and say, hey, I'm like super mad right now, but I'm going to let it go. People need to see you do that. People need to see me when I was mourning over my mom, and dude, I'm crying every other day, and instead of closing the door and hiding behind the blankets because that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted people to stop looking at me. 
I'm so sad. I'm broken. Stop looking at me. But God says, no, open your door and let them see how you handle grief. Let them see how you handle hard times. Let them see how you handle something that's heavy and you feel like you can't lift it any longer. Let them see it because you're going to do something in them that they need to see what it looks like because we're tired of these Pharisees Pharisees and Sadducees telling us what to do and not showing us what to do, how to do it. We've all been, been guilty of it. We've all been guilty of saying, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. And the Bible says it is desperately wicked. That's why our daily prayer should be, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me the right spirit. Create means, God, do it. It's not yet there. Creating me a clean heart means, God, create it. Because it's desperately wicked. It's almost like a prisoner that wants freedom so bad. And he's constantly head on a swivel waiting for a time when the guard's not looking to escape. That's what your heart is doing. Your heart is waiting for a moment, a chance to escape and do the wicked things that it longs to do. Listen, you being tempted and having an appetite for sin, that doesn't make you special. We all do. Don't feel like you're this bad person because you, there's these things that you want and you're, 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 you're drawn to this. Dude, I'm drawn to chimichangas. Somebody else might be drawn to crack. Somebody else be, might be drawn to fornication. Somebody else might be drawn to something else, but we're all drawn by our appetite to sin. So the thing is that don't feel like you are unworthy to teach somebody something. Somebody can learn something from your life. You are the right help. You are the right connection in someone's life. And someone needs you to open up your door and stop hiding behind your, behind your doors of temptation. Fasting allows us to hear from God. And most of the time, it's God saying, hey, I think it's time we start talking about your pride. Hey, I, I think it's time that we start talking about some of the things that you want to put before your eyes. I don't want to talk about that. Well, I think it's time. That's what fasting does. It gets your flesh quiet down to a place where it says, like a, like a child. It's almost like a, like a two-year-old. Like it's like you go from this grown man to this two-year-old child, and the two-year-old child says, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Why? Because you've, you've um, crucified your flesh to a point where now it's, it's ready to listen. So I have a picture. I, have, I should have a picture. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a Seattle fan, okay? I'm not a Seattle fan. I just want to make that disclosure, okay? I'm not a Seattle fan. But there's this thing that I do respect about the Seattle Seahawks team is that their crowd is known by the 12th man. Dude, I think that's dope. So I think it's so great that I looked into it and I, and I read up on it. It says that the Seattle Seahawks has set world records twice for their crowd noise levels. I thought this 12-man business, uh, business was interesting, so I looked into it. In 2013, their crowd noise levels reg registered a 1.3.6 decibel in a game against the San Francisco 49ers, a.k.a. the world's best NFL team. Before, <laughs> before breaking the record several times later at a 1.37.6 I mean, decibel against the New Orleans Saints. FYI, 150 decibels means it's going to rupture your eardrum. And they're at a, a, a 137.6 decibel. Their crowd is so loud that in the midst of the game, dude, they can't, the, peop, the, the, rival, the, 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 uh, the, the team, that the rivalry team, y'all know what I'm trying to say, the team that they're playing against gets so confused because the, the, the noise is so loud. Why? Because... Seattle has 
so much help around them. They have people that are praying for them, cheering for them, saying, you're going to do this. Listen, the crowd is not necessarily for every single person. They may not say, I agree with everything that this guy did. I don't even know who their players are. Sherwin's not there anymore. I don't know who's there. I don't know who's on the Seahawks. The crowd is not saying, I agree with everything that they are doing. I agree with every play that, he, that the coach picked. They're not saying that. They're just saying, I support them because they're going in the direction of our victory. And a community, a church, the Building Christian Fellowship, listen, we may, may not agree with every single thing, every single choice that you have done, but guess what? You're on this team. And because you're on this team, we are going to confuse the enemy to such a point that when the enemy tries to come against you in some kind of way to shake you or break you, we're going to be so loud in your ear that you won't be thrown off by the enemy. When you have squad, when you have community around you that is cheering for you, that is rooting for you, that is praying for you, that is interceding for you, that is speaking life over you, saying, you are the head and not the tail. You shall overcome. You shall not be defeated. The enemy, he gets confused because he's not able to shake you the way he wants to shake you. Hebrews, if you stand to your feet. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, haha, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen. We're on the right team. And it may look like it's just one of you, but oh no. There's thousands of you. There's people that are, there's thousands of thousands of people that are surrounding you. A great cloud of witnesses that are surrounding you and rooting for you and praying for you and interceding for you and celebrating you. You are not alone. I love that song. When I think that I'm surrounded, you may think like I'm surrounded, but I, but what is it? Surrounded by you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may think that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. So it's like just when I think I'm surrounded by the enemy and there's no way out, just when I think that, man, this this is gonna take me out. Yeah, this 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 is bad. Like I don't I don't see any comeback from that. When I think I'm surrounded to such a point where my 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 end is near, whatever it is. There's a greater cloud of witnesses that's surrounding you. But when you're connected to a church and you have helpmates helping you meet the call of God in your life, helping you sustain and curb your appetite for sin, helping remind you of why you're doing what you're doing, helping to remind you why you should keep coming to church to be encouraged to follow after the things of God, helping to encourage you to live out your Christian life and not just telling you, but showing you. John 14, 15 through 18, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The spirit of the Lord. Man, we have so much help. We have so much help. Depression doesn't have a chance. Thoughts of suicide doesn't have a chance. The sin that comes to come knock on our door doesn't have a chance. 
because we're surrounded. And not only are we surrounded by the things of God, but we have the spirit of the living God on the inside of us. We are well able. We are well able. Amen? If we're going to fulfill the first commandment, which still stands to this day, we need to make sure that we are submitting to our helpmates. Amen? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord, for this house, and I thank you for this people. God, I thank you for your word. I pray right now, God, that you allow this word to be hidden in our hearts, that we might not sin against you. Not only that, so that we might not be distracted or that we might not lose heart. God, continue to encourage your people, strengthen your people, God, and guide your people in all ways. God, I pray right now, God, that today a decision has been made not to not just open up their hearts to you, but to open up their doors to one another. Father, make us a family of families, a true family of families. Allow us to extend our hand out one to another, God, that we won't just talk about the word, but we'll live out the word for one another to see in every season, in every area of our lives, no matter how we feel, we're going to live it out because we're trusting and depending on you and not to our own understanding. God, we love you and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.